I was able to show them how it could be successful. Because the key is, like as we've seen in a lot of celebrity brands in this space, they don't do well. And I think we've kind of proven the model, which the model is like, you got to have national scale. This is The Dime. Dive into the cannabis and hemp industry through trends, insights, predictions, and tangents. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of The Dime. I'm Brian Fields, and with me, as always, is Kellen Finney. And this week, we've got a very special guest, Chad Bronstein, founder and CEO of Philo and president of Tyson 2.0. Chad, thanks for taking the time. How are you doing today? I'm good. How are you guys? I'm doing well. Kellen, how are you doing? I'm doing really well. Excited to talk to Chad and uh, learn more about these companies. How are you, Brian? I'm doing good. So, Chad, we got an East Coast, West Coast battle. So, uh, <laughs> for the record, where would you put yourself on the map? Well, I would say I'm more in the Midwest, so I'm going to have to go East Coast. There it is. Kellen, another one for I you. Know, I, was, I was trying to avoid the topic. You see, I just uh, gleamed over it so quick. <laughs> That's fair. That's yeah, fair. Yeah. So, Chad, for our listeners unfamiliar about you, can you give a little background about yourself? Yeah. So, uh, you know, come from a long lineage of advertising, marketing, technology background. Uh, married, uh, met my wife when I was 22, I think, when I first moved to Chicago for my first advertising job. I have a, a son that's six years old. And uh, yeah, you know, from Ohio, like we just discussed, and uh, went to Miami, Ohio. And, um, you know, it's a quick background. Just a serial entrepreneur. I've been doing, you know, figuring out ways to make money since I was 11 years old, but not for the money side, just for, you know, the pure, you know, entrepreneur side of it. I believe it. So what, what kind of drew you into cannabis? It's funny. So I was never, I never really smoked weed, to be frank. Like I didn't, I was always in this, like just so focused on sports when I was younger and then to college, but I never really got into it. But we were, when I was running uh, a Moby, which was at the time, you know, on my Singtel. So, you know, you weren't really able to touch like a jewel or a cannabis and cannabis was becoming really large scale. And I, at that point I was eight years in, you know, running a large team, but kind of lost the passion of, you know, I don't want to work in a corporate, uh, you know, culture anymore. I, before we got bought, it was like very much, you know, the culture we liked, entrepreneur. And then as you grow, no matter what company you're at, you start to get more corporate. And so I had to make a decision. Do I want to go at that time, run another company or do I want to build my own? And I also wanted to try something different. I needed to like, you know, get my juices going. And so I'm a big like underdog challenge kind of guy. And I we were getting a lot of um, outreach about cannabis. I think the first cannabis company, which was a CBD, was Charlotte's Web that reached out back in the day. Um, or this is like five and a half years ago. And so I was like, you know what? What can we do here that uh, is unique in the space to bring some maturity to it? And so I went off, reached out to Aristotle, my, one of my co-founders, Eric Shani, one of my co-founders, some people that don't have co-founder title, but that were early on, like Conrad, our CMO, Nicole Cosby, who was a chief legal officer, some other people. And I was like, you guys, if I start this company, will you join? It was kind of like the field of dreams, like Kevin Costner, if I build, will you come? <laughs> and so, uh, and I also, we were all making good money. So I had to, you know, I had to make, I had to go out and raise money, at least for not me, but for the other people to de-risk. The opportunity. And so I went out and put together a deck, raised some capital. And that's how I jumped into the space. You know, when you jumped in, what we jumped in with what we are today is two different things, but we just started listening to what was needed. I believe. So you, yeah. So you come from a successful background, I mean, outside the cannabis industry. Was there any hesitations? And what was that conversation like with uh, your wife? And I mean, you have a kid too, you mentioned. So that's, what was that transition like? So great question. I wouldn't have done that without her blessing because I remember. 
this day, I was sitting at the kitchen table with my wife. My son was young at the time. And I'm like, uh, I want to go start a cannabis company. She laughed at me, not because of the cannabis fight, because her, you know, her family partakes quite a bit. And so she was laughing because I was jumping into cannabis because I never, you know, I'd be like, oh no, you know, that the person's a stoner and needs to stop smoking so much, right? And then when I jumped in, and then so she said, you should go do it. Like she wanted to see me. At the end of the day, like when you're successful, as you guys know, like whether I succeeded or not, I could jump. I had a fallback. So it was a it was a good opportunity for me to do that. And um, honestly, the change for me, I've had the most fun. I wouldn't be... We won't be talking about Tyson 2.0 or Feel or anything if I didn't do this. And my whole vision was, let's go destigmatize it. Because I was a part of that stigma in the sense of thinking that mentality. When I jumped in, I learned so much about all the effects and all the people that are utilizing this for so many more things than just um, leisure smoking. Yeah, it's it's really kind of eye-opening. And I think coming from an entrepreneurial background really helps in this type of space where you're just kind of layered with different challenges and obstacles. And one of the, the projects I want to talk about first is Tyson 2.0. Obviously, Mike Tyson is a big name behind that. How did that start? And like when that first conversation is happening with you and and like take us through, you know, what you're feeling and what those early thoughts were on putting something together. So it started, I won't be at Tagmatize 2.0 if it wasn't for Philo, right? So as you guys know, we built a pretty, you know, we came in strong in this industry and we were, and it was like constant promoting, just making sure that, you know, we were a big name and that we had the opportunity to raise capital and all these other things. So I got to tell you the story. So Philo obviously built the name for us in the space. Then on LinkedIn, this guy, Daniel Carcillo, who's a two-time Stanley Cup hockey player, reached out to me. I, I don't know anything about hockey. We talked about sports earlier, guys, and we were talking about football and basketball, but we, we didn't bring up hockey, but I didn't know shit about hockey. So I was like, who the hell is this guy, right? I looked at his link that he sent me on YouTube about uh, his concussions and stuff like that. And so uh, that's how I got connect. He reached out and then he lived 20 minutes down the street. So he came to my house. And then I helped... You know, we, Psychedelics is a very tough industry too. But we were sitting in this office. I'm doing the podcast with you, and we were like, "I was like, we gotta get to Mike Tyson, because if we get to Mike Tyson, he can help us with his voice, because he talks about 5-MeO DMT and how it saves his life, has saved his life." So we did that. I meant we manifested it. We got to Mike through his brother-in-law Zine, and there was a guy that worked for Philo named Brian Spears, who's Brittany Spears' brother, that actually connected us to uh, him, and then uh, yeah. So then he asked me to look at some cannabis stuff. And um, that's how we looked at something. I'm not going to talk about the old regime, but I could talk about what we did. And because of feel of my relationships with Columbia Care at the time, I reached out to this guy, Jesse Shannon, who's the chief growth officer of Columbia Care, one of my close friends. And I said, Jess, and I put Mike on the call. I said, Jesse, if we start Tyson 2.0, will you work with us and give us national cultivation? And that was the start. I mean, it's a bold move. And I guess getting Mike on board, was that an easy thing? Was that a harder thing? You know, I build a lot of trust with Mike, his wife Kiki, and Azim. That's like the, that's like the team of, uh, and you know, they're very they're really good people, and it's all about trust. And so we built good trust, and so I was able to show them how it could be successful. Because the key is like as we've seen a lot of celebrity brands in this space, they don't do well. And I think we've kind of proven the model, which the model is like you got to have national scale. The biggest problem in this space, as we also know, is cultivation product, right? So. You can't really scale in this industry unless you have national scale. So they saw the roadmap. We went with Jesse and then we signed a partnership with Jesse. And that was our first... And Columbia Care. And that was our first partnership in the space to really launch 
the company. How much uh, fuel does it add to the fire when you have someone like Mike Tyson who's actually benefiting from the product? It's huge. I mean, I would say the fuel in the fire is not about the celebrity. Um, it's about Mike Tyson's obviously name, but it's also about Mike Tyson's work ethic, right? There's a big difference between, you know, I'm not going to name other celebrities, but let's just talk about what it is. Like Mike goes everywhere and also Ric Flair. But these guys, like they, you say, let's go to Idaho at 6 a.m., they're going to get on the plane and, and they're punctual. Like they're just, you know, Mike and Rick are just like us. They're hustlers, they're entrepreneurs. You know, they're not, they don't, they want to be a part of it. And then that's why it's successful. The, the licensing someone's name in the space, it doesn't work. Like, well, you get one, you get one social media post and one thing and you expect it to be successful. No way. And, and also back to your question earlier is like, Mike knows weed. He knows what he's smoking. He knows how it helps him. And so he can, he helps with products and he knows that it's going to be, you know, if you smoke Mike's weed, you know, it's going to be good stuff. That's such a critical aspect, right? Because 100% agree. We've seen other influencers come in and it just hasn't picked up the type of traction. But with what you're building with Tyson, the name is everywhere and he's constantly pushing the product. Obviously, he's an incredible marketer because we've seen some of the things that have gone on with, between him and Rick. But I want to stay more with like his involvement in selection of the products. Is he heavily involved in it? Is he kind of working with someone? How does that work? Him and Kiki will call us like five times a day with new, with new products. Like, so we reached out to Vander a year ago when we, before we launched Mike Bites. And Vander would say this too. He, you know, they didn't want to do it at that time. But then, you know, a year later, we were going to do Holy Ears for the holidays. And actually, that was Mike's idea, Mike and Kiki's idea. So, Holy Ears for the holiday. And then Evander happened to reach out to us and we say, Hey, we want to do Holy Ears for the holidays. We want to be a part of this. And he said, Yes. So now Evander's a part of it. We launched Holy Ears. We went viral with the commercial that we did. We did that commercial in three days. It comes back down to the team. Right. I have my CEO of Tyson's Adam Wilkes, uh, been in the CAMS game for a while. My CMO is Jackie. She's been in the game for Anheuser Bush for quite some time, more in the mainstream world. Nicole Cosby, who was with me at Philo, who was my chief legal officer, now comes from a licensing background. And so she's, she's, I took, she came from Philo to Tyson. And Aristotle is my other um, partner. And so, you know, I always say, as you guys would know, it's like building a company, tech and everything else, whatever you're building is important, but the people are the most important. The engagement though is incredible. I've seen him at the Benzinga event and the other things that they've done. They're just natural entertainers. So kind of being with them, do you, do you kind of get lost in the, in the atmosphere of the relationships? Because I can imagine sometimes what you've seen is people, they're bigger than life. So we've seen people come up to them and just bit excitement. But is there a pairing between the entertainment aspect and the marketing that, that plays really nice in cannabis where there are so many challenges? Yeah, I mean, Mike is an incredible... I, I would say they're both Mike and Rick in their own rights are marketing geniuses, right? So I think that the ability to utilize the marketing we do, which is very pointed and specific um, with their abilities, I think that allows us obviously to grow faster, right? And, you know, we have a great PR team in KCSA that really helped us build this from day one, but we, it's a lot of work. Like we're constant, we, we don't struggle as you guys can assume with getting press. So it's making sure that what we're doing is very pointed and specific to what we're trying to accomplish and build. Have you noticed uh, like a significant shift in some of the cultural stigmas that we we touched on earlier? Just having Tyson and Ric Flair kind of be a part of it and actively participate. Hundred percent. I think that uh, you see you're seeing more shifts. You're seeing more viral virality around the two of them. Like you know when they're together, it's very rare. I, I like to say like 
Mike and Rick, and this is our new thing at Tyson, at Karma Holdings, which is our new holding company now that we have Rick, Mike, and Evander, but stand the test of time, right? These guys have been out there for 40 years and they're still relevant. A lot of people we all seen in our uh, lives, like they don't stay as you know relevant the whole time. Mike and Rick are still relevant and they stand the test of time. And that's because their ability, you know, to be out there and, you know, not afraid. They're not afraid to say whatever the hell they want to say, you know. They're just not. So I think that's also a big part of it. Did did Mike help recruit Rick? How did that alignment happen? No. So Rick was my boat neighbor in Tampa. He tells the story all the time. I don't care. Like I was, uh, he. Someone told me Rick Flair was my boat neighbor. I just moved there, right? So I see. I'm a big wrestling fan, um, and I see uh, the his boat come right next to mine, and I we share the same uh, guy that takes care of our boat. And so I, I texted my guys like, hey, when Rick comes in, let me know I want to say hi to him with my son. And then I told him like, Rick, I want to start a cannabis brand called the Ric Flair Drip. Because Ric Flair Drip was most popular, one of the most popular watch rap YouTube videos there is. I'm like, I could, and Rick's just such a good market. I grew up on him. So that's how it started. This was like 10 months ago. And uh, I called Mike and I said, what do you think about Ric Flair as our next brand? And Mike's like, I love Ric Flair. And so yeah, he had a part. I wouldn't have chose... I always call Mike if I'm going to build a brand. I'm like, what do you think? And Mike's like, there's nothing not to to love about Rick. And so that's where we went. Was there instant chemistry between the two of them? They know each other. Yeah, they knew they they uh, they spend time together. You know, so uh, yeah, I mean, they, you know, both of them are actually, you know, people get a misperception on that. Mike, Mike and Rick are the two like nicest guys there are. Like hanging out with them is like, you know, it's pretty fun. There's there's no. Um, they, you know, they're pretty easy guys to be around. So one of the things that Tyson 2.0 aims to do is break the mold for how celebrity and cannabis intersect. Is there plans to add additional uh, personalities to the roster? Oh, there is. Yeah, there's a big one that's to be announced next year, in the beginning uh, of the year. Any any teasing of that for the listeners that uh, maybe can help us figure out who it is? Uh, you, you'll see. I can't tease because it's a, it's another it's an there there'll be a, you know probably a couple of names that we'll announce next year but we're very specific in how we choose like do they fit you know we we it's not just about the name and the notoriety of them it's also about do they fit our culture do they bring you know can we have chemistry like we do you know it's it's a pretty family oriented culture at, at Karma so we we're very specific and we have to also I like. You know what I said is to stand the test of time with Rick and Mike. They're very nostalgic. You asked the question earlier: Do you get lost in like um, the energy around the fans they have? And sometimes you do because it's not about getting lost because they're so happy. It's also hearing the stories that they have, like and how Mike and Rick has impacted a lot of people's lives or memories they had with someone in their family. So that's I think that's the cool, really cool part to listen. When you're uh, going after additional celebrities, how do you guys vet them? Is there like specific like target? personalities that you're looking to add? Is it like, hey, we have these two things covered, we're looking for like a, a very different one? Or is it like you're just kind of building them all together? It's like a pyramid. You know, it's a good question. Uh, it kind of just comes and, you know, and like some of them are just like, one I'm working at right now, my wife actually brought up in the summer that, uh, that I really will will reach a different audience. It's reach an audience that may, we may not capture, right? So... Obviously, you know, we're looking at someone right now that if we get it, it would be incredible. We could have another update. And then the person that we are partnering with, we want that's 
launching in January, will announce the announcement in January. This person also reaches a very large international audience and US audience, and maybe not some audiences that we're touching today. Yeah. And then also, you don't want to dilute your own, you want to dilute your own brands. So just also making sure that each brand sits, sits and gets the attention it needs to be successful. And it's also challenging for you too to make sure that the person not only fits in the community, but also checks the box. Like you're saying, you want this person to be involved. You want this to be a part of their life because it's critical that celebrity partnership that has this current negative stigma about it, right? Everyone's like, oh, people just slap their name on it. And you have to kind of evaluate whether or not this will be a good fit, not only for the brand, but also if the personality and their interests align, it's not just kind of like a cash grab for them. 100%. Yeah. It's, and, and also, it's like it makes our lives easier that if that person is involved, and it's not just the person, it's the team around that person. Like we talked about Mike, we have Kiki and Azeem who are around him, and we have, we have, we work with all three of them. With Ric Flair, we have um, Kelly Brewster who's, and Wendy, who is this team there that we work with consistently with this new person. We have his team that we work with consistently. So it's not just about the talent. It's about the team. The team is going to be doing the day-to-day a lot of times. So you have to be able to work with everyone well. And that's that's how it becomes successful. Just one last question about the ear edibles. Obviously, you got a ton of press. And I can't tell you how many text messages I got from people being like, I got to try this product, got to try this product. Was there any hesitation that maybe it wouldn't be good a fit with Evander? And then going forward, when it started getting announced, when did you realize it kind of got caught up into the viral world and it was really taking a uh, life. We knew when Evander, we knew always if we, when Evander was going to be involved that it would be, we already went viral for Mike Bites without Evander, but we knew that, you know, ide- ideally you always wanted Evander involved. We're not, we were never in business to like take advantage of a situation. Like we wanted, Evander and Mike are friends. Like people don't understand that. Like they think they're still enemies from this uh, event. They're, they're not. So um, hanging out with Evander and Mike is fun. Like they're both, they both have so much respect for each other. And in boxing, it's aggressive sport, right? So it's like, you know, you never know what's going to happen. So I think for us, like having a Vander be a part of the Holy Years and a part of our organization was always something we wanted and always envisioned. And now I've gotten to spend a lot of time with them and Mike together. It's a, they always like, Mike Vander's like, people think I hate the guy. We've known each other. They were on the Olympic team together or pre 1984. Like these guys go way back. There's a long, there's longevity there. So it's been fun working with them. And we always wanted Evander. And Evander also has a good team with his his son and EJ and his daughter, Yvette. They're working, working with them. So it's back to that. We're talking about that kind of approach. It works really well. So slightly switching gears to Philo. Philo Connect is a new interactive retail media network built for retailers and brands that want to reach cannabis consumers. Can you kind of expand on the value proposition for that? Is it more beneficial for the consumers, for the dispensaries, or a little bit of both? It's for both, right? Because how I, again, Jesse Shannon comes back into this conversation. So Columbia Care is one of our bigger clients um, for a long time. And uh, I was looking at, you know, we have loyalty, we have advertising, we have data, we have, as you guys mentioned, Don, earlier in the conversation, we have our compliance uh, software. So, you know, you're looking at building, a fl- we built a flywheel. So one thing that was missing were the screen side of the business. And like, how do we do something different in a, you know, in a space? Because you have, people out there just putting screens with ads. That's my whole background. It's like, how do you make it more interactive? So I called up Jesse. I'm like, Hey, who's the best screen company you guys are talking to? And he's like, well, we signed an exclusive with this company called 916 that wasn't in cannabis when they signed exclusive. They were in retail, the mainstream. So the only person that had these screens and the interactive thing was Columbia Care because they made they signed an exclusive in cannabis. 
And so we ended up buying them like after about 11 weeks later of that conversation. And the reason why we liked it was because it was a, it was an interactive experience. It was, you know, you're going onto the screen, it's recommending, you know, Brian walks in dispensary, what should product should I get? And then also the fact that it's, you know, say there's not a lot of bun tenders in the store, you'd be able to use, you know, build this interactive experience to make it the most efficient process for a consumer to walk in and understand what they're buying. And then also being able to purchase. So that's why we liked 916. What we also like about it is, yes, in store, it's not... People aren't... you know, Brands don't have the opportunity to really advertise the right way. This is more of a way we're catching a consumer in the actual mindset of cannabis. So we look at it as the conversation in both mainstream and cannabis is all about retail connected media now. It's not about like you know, going on just on the website. It's about what, how do you capture them in the retail experience? And so we believe it's the beginning phase of that. And that's, we're not, we're playing in both sides, cannabis and the mainstream world about with this retail connected platform. I'm excited to kind of touch about that retail connected platform because I think you're 100% spot on. I want to talk about the missing asset that you didn't share that I know is really critical is the data portion of that, right? Because what you're collecting there is the most powerful asset is understanding that sure, Brian is a constant edible consumer and Kellen himself likes concentrates. And that allows you to connect maybe necessarily outside of the industry as well, which can really leverage this on the next level. 100%. I mean, I think the, bridge, the originally how we started this business and I don't, I'm not trying to sell the whole, you know, the business, I'm just going, you know, just talking organically with you guys. But when you, when you brought up the data side, uh, yeah. So when we started this idea was exactly that. I don't know, Brian. I don't know, like, let's use Kellen. I don't know if Kellen um, on paper likes to buy sativa and indica. I know he buys Frosted Flakes. I know he likes to shop. He buys, he goes to, he gets Nikes. I know he's an outdoor enthusiast, but I don't know about this other version of Kellen. And that's like, that's the problem with day to day is like, you just know what you know, but there's all the cannabis side of it opens up different behaviors about Kellen that we would never know. And so the back to my old days was like, you go to brands and be like, tell me something new about Kellen I don't know. And you really couldn't because you have your data sources that you're going to go and buy CPG data or shopping data. So that's how Philo started was the hypothesis was I could get mainstream brands to buy our data. Now I can openly talk about Nestle Waters buys our data. It's They publicly do a case study so I can talk about it. Uber Eats buys our data. We could talk about it. They do case studies with us. We have the largest holding companies buying our data. They openly talk about it. So um, the data part is very interesting, both for the cannabis side of it, like you said, Brian, and then also the and then the mainstream side of wanting to understand a new way to reach you and a voice that haven't reached you in yet today. Yeah. So that kind of data actually helps cannabis retailers kind of uh, level the playing field, if you will, for when um, federal legalization probably occurs and you can access cannabis in your like standard... Uh, retail setting, correct? Correct. Does it also uh, help decrease the amount of time a consumer's in the dispensary? Because I know that's a, a huge variable or at least factor that a lot of uh, retailers look at to try to increase their revenue. 100%. It also establishes like there's, you know, not just in cannabis, but in the world we're in today, there's like, it's hard to get talent in service industries, right? So yeah. like our screens are in a Bentley dealership now um, in Chicago. Right. And like you can go when you go into any car dealership, there's a plasma screen. You could go to the mouse. This is a very quick process. You could go in, build a car, whatever you want. So it's at the end of the day, we're trying to, like you just said, is trying to drive efficiencies, whether it be in cannabis or in another 
retail environment because there are hiring um, issues and ability to hire enough. So this will allow people to go through the process. They can't talk to someone in store. When you were pitching Uber Eats and Nestle on the importance of this data, was there a cannabis stigma kind of attached to it? And did they need to kind of be heard on the value of this new data and how it can make valuable for them? So Jeff Ragavan and myself, Jeff, you guys, I don't know if you guys know Jeff, but Jeff has his own podcast called Alchemy. So he, you know, we run a founders panel together. I was a chief revenue officer in my last company. He's been chief commercial officer, a lot of companies. So together, we had a lot of fun back to your question, educating brands. First five minutes back, like two and a half years ago, we had a phone with like a big brand. They'd be like, why the fuck am I on a call phone with a cannabis data company? And then you'd always have the aha moments. Like, oh, this makes sense. So we spent a lot of time, a lot of time educating brands. But let me give you another side of that. What also made it fun was that there's always a curiosity call. So my la- you could be my last company, a big platform or just platform like, oh, we talked to Google, we talked to this, we talked to that. It's like another one. This time it's like, oh, at least I just hear what the hell they have to offer on the cannabis side. Like, what am I? So it was a lot of curiosity calls. And then we drove them to actual education to then testing. Right. So I feel like now we've had about 9,000 brands test our data. And that's non-cannabis. You guys get to the aha moment a little quicker nowadays when you're talking yeah, to a new well, client. Yeah, you know what? Like you're still in the phase of like you know, getting people to test, then moving in more into like the strategic conversation. So we're definitely past the aha moments in a lot of scenarios, but you're still still fighting the battle with um, conservative brands. You're still fighting the battle of like fully embracing this. I can imagine the stigma still kind of resonates with some of those more conservative brands because they're probably wondering themselves like, sure, this can help us, but is it worth kind of the headlines or the association with the industry, which I don't believe is negative attachment, but I think some people still have that feeling of, if we get partnered with a cannabis company, whether or not they're touching the plant or not, there is some sort of negative connotation attached to it. Yeah, I think people are okay with buying data because they don't have to actually put an ad with Kellen's face smoking a blunt, right? So, <laughs> so. <laughs> you wouldn't do so well anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> but I think eventually, like when you have these 420 events, right? Like we'll see more and more QSRs and more and more brands getting creative with opportunities, right? And as they should, like 420 is since we were younger, it's always been a talked about holiday, right? So it's like, eventually, it's going to become more mainstream. And we'll see a lot more people, but we're still not there yet. But we've seen a lot of progress. But it's definitely not something that's like, fully embraced. From the data side, is there gamification and built in for the loyalty program? Obviously, Starbucks has its entire empire from the coffee side, but it has those kind of cards with the the purchasing uh, loading on the card and then having the gamification aspect of it. Is that an aspect your team is building into it as well? Yeah, we you know we're figuring out mostly everything we're going to build now is around our connected platform. So like anything we embrace or do is going to be around more of the connected platform because loyalty in the cannabis space is a tough game. And it's because why it's tough is because getting text messages out when we we play like from the carriers get shut down constantly. It's really nothing that anybody can do or build a tech around that's going to solve for that. It's it was it was a big problem. And we bought data and we learned that you know, that process. So it's like for us, it's like everything we want to develop now is around our connected retail product and communicating through there. What is one concept that the outside industry is shocked to hear about the cannabis industry? I think when you learn, you get educated about like all the... If you don't know anything about cannabis, when you jump in, you can get shocked and surprised about the stories and the value of how it helps so many people. 
I think that's the key is like, I think the other side is like, when you jump into cannabis, like myself, or I'm sure you guys when you jump in, there's a lot of shock of like, <laughs> all the of all, of all the bullshit that you uh, jump into. And like, you spend a, like, when you're starting companies in cannabis, you're definitely like spending the first four months just learning what not to do, as well as like, not falling into traps. And it's like, you know, you start a company in this space, you're at least spending just a couple hundred thousand dollars educating yourself on mistakes because there's a lot of mistakes to, you know that you could have when you first start that's uh, perfectly said normalization is critical for the cannabis industry i've given you a magic wand you can change anything you want to help move the industry forward what would you change make it federally legal what's a feature request that you get a lot that your team will never build or buy i mean i've gotten i said the biggest request is a lot is like developing creative we're never going to develop creative why not it's just not not in it, not something we want to do. If you had unlimited capital, what initiatives would you take on that you're not currently able to? Well, I think at that point you just consolidate as much as you can under your umbrella. So I mean, I would just you know, with unlimited capital, I just go out and buy more mainstream companies to you know. I heard monopolies do pretty well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what would you say that your competitors aren't doing yet? We don't really compete a lot of people because we're doing something a little different, right? So, um, and so I think to look at it as like we partner with a lot of people versus compete. What we built is we're very specific in our focus. So I think that's how we fit in nicely. We did compete with, you know, you compete with like loyalty and other partners, but I think for what we do, um, we're the only company right now that's actually mainstream and cannabis. And I think that's our core differentiation. Are you guys looking to uh, obtain data in other sectors of the market besides just the retail sector? 100%. We do obtain data in other uh, sectors and we have like unique partnerships uh, that you know you can find Comscore unique partnership. We have another partnership with Fanatics. Like we have a lot of part we have a lot of partnerships. We're constantly looking for alternative alternative data sources. The key about our data is that it's different because it's back to what we were talking about earlier. It's this mindset that you would never know about a person. What the fun, the most fun part about when I started Fido was getting on the phone with people I used to talk to in my old company that were uptight that would tell me they ate edibles at night. I would have never have guessed these people ate edibles at night because they're corporate, they're this, they're that. They're like, oh shit, they eat edibles. And then what happens there is they soften up. Like they're, the conversation becomes a lot more fun. And so I think for this data set, it's like, this is the future. Like more, we t- we're seeing psychedelics decriminalize all these conversations, like more and more people are getting educated and being destigmatized to the power of these products. And I think that's the, that's the key. Have you guys gotten yourself in any like hot water? I'm thinking of uh, that there's a, a story from a Target data scientist company where they sent a brochure to a, a daughter that didn't know she was pregnant yet. Have you guys gotten in any like hot water because it's cannabis no. related, you know? <laughs> because we're not we're not running uh, cannabis ads. I mean, we're not we're not we're not with the data. Yeah, we do run. Well, sorry, we do run some for we do work with a lot of advertising for a lot of the multi state operators. But everything we do is age gated. We're I mean we've been doing this. I come from 15 years. Yeah. <laughs> Nicole Cosby, who I mentioned earlier, she ran Publicis as a holding company. Steve Kettleman was at Omnicom for 25 years. Jeff Ragavan, you know, 22 years in the industry. Connor, the group around this, the, um, our chief of data analytics ran Catalina and then ran Turner Broadcasting. Like our chief legal officer is Travis Moyer, who used to run Grassroots. We were on the other side of the negotiation. Then it was at Curaleaf. So like, and you guys use our compliance stack. Everything we do is compliant. You're following the guidelines. Like, just to what you just brought up exactly to make sure we don't ever fall into that bucket because we could get torn apart if that happened. Yeah. 
is there a outside industry company that you draw from inspiration or say, hey, I'm building Philo to look like X or Y similar? We're building Philo to be Philo. Oh, good answer. <laughs> One thing you'll learn about me is like, you talk about competitors and all this other crap. Like, I just keep my head down. We keep our head down. Like, you're always going to have copycats, but you know, you just focus on what you focus on and work hard. And the rest is, you know, is what's in your control. So I, I like to build. I like to build Philo on, you know, and my team, we build Philo, we learn stuff, but it's what Philo is going to do. If the business overachieves, what does it look like in five years? And if you miss what have gone wrong? Well, the business overachieves, what it looks like in five years, you know, you're at a multi hundred million dollar revenue stream, not a hundred million, because I think we'll be there already. But in terms of uh, five years from now, like you're at a, you know, you're at a very large company size and you've broken a lot of the stigmas strategic. Now, doesn't overachieve. It's things that are, you know, we didn't execute properly, or you know, we got a recession. People start pulling back, continue to pull back. There's a lot of different factors. I would say, as being a CEO in this space since we started, uh, COVID hit us, and we and we just raised money. We had no idea what was going to happen. Right, the first time we raised money, in 2019, the stock, the cannabis market crash. Right, so it's like keep throwing them on. Now we're in a recession. So for me, it's like. At this point, you know, being an entrepreneur, you just don't know what's going to hit you. So it's like, keep your head up high, be bulletproof, and just keep fucking trucking. Been battle yeah, tested. Yeah, yeah battle that's, tested the last three yeah, years. Yeah. That's, all, that's all you can do. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Let's say a zombie apocalypse happens. Rank these people in order most likely to thrive and survive Mike Tyson, you, Jeff Ragovin, and Ric Flair. In an apocalypse. Zombie apocalypse. Zombie apocalypse. Um, I don't know. Each person deals with uh, different things in different ways. I'd say Mike Tyson will and and uh, will definitely knock a lot of those zombies out. Right? Jeff will be the chef, and uh, whatever whatever food is alive out there, Jeff will catch. Right? So and so that so that it depends, you know. And me, I figure out a crafty way. I don't, I don't know. It's a tough question. I can't answer that because we all bring different things to the table. We'd be a good team. We asked Jeff how he would do in that because that's his go-to question in his podcast. And he said he would thrive and listen to all the characteristics. <laughs> he said he did. And I was like, well, if the zombie apocalypse happens, I'm coming to you. Jeff is very good outside. Yeah. I think he said he'd give someone his calf, which I just thought that was a very heroic move on his part. To give someone his calf? I, I have to listen back to the quote, but it was something very heroic of what he'd be willing to do for, for the team. Jeff's very uh, crafty when it comes to like outdoorsy stuff. 20 years from now, we'll look back and say, that was barbaric. I can't believe we did that in the cannabis industry. What is that? The barbaric thing is the banking side right now. It's not being able to uh, for companies to be... I think 20 years from now, like, what the fuck? Why wouldn't they be able to... You have all these big public companies and companies that have raised capital that are producing a lot of money and they can't get banking. That's what I think will be barbaric. What is the biggest misconception about your company? There's a lot of misconceptions. Like people just don't know. Sometimes just confused on what we because we have a couple offerings. But uh, I think just the, what we actually offer. I think there's a misconception sometimes because some people just don't fully grasp it. When you started your journey in the cannabis space, what did you get right? And most importantly, what did you get wrong? You get a lot of things wrong. If any entrepreneur says they got everything right, uh, what we did get right was our our mission, right? That we knew that there was an opportunity to stigmatize that if you brought pedigree into the market and you actually you know, no one had egos and just knew that it's going to be a grind. And then our vision, which was the data side, which is that unique aspect that brands want to know more about. And that's how we just kind of built our whole company around. 
Before we do predictions, we ask all of our guests, if you could sum up your experience in a main takeaway or lesson learned to pass on to the next generation, what would it be? You know, I think that it sounds cliche, but everyone and you guys would know this too. Is like when you start a company, like you just got to be super, super resilient, and you have to have a mindset of like just pure like anything that I get thrown at me, I just fucking keep going. Like I've been hit so many times in this when I started this company. It's some things I can't even share on uh, a podcast, but uh, just things that you just would never expect. So. Um, it's not just about your business side. It's about don't forget who you partner with too. There's a lot of different aspects that come into um, play and things you know you just you're going to be naive with because it's not experience. You you learn from experience. So I think just come in with an open mind. But if you think you know, I always tell people some people are better off suited at large companies. It's not a bad thing. But when you start a company, you just got to be you got to be thick skinned and you got to be ready to grind no matter what. Really well said. All right, prediction time. Chad, we've seen early breakthroughs with mainstream media and cannabinoid companies like MLB and Charlotte's Web. What event or marketing partnership would completely unlock marketing for the cannabis industry in the mainstream? I think more like NFL comes out and more of these leagues come out, it just becomes more and more mainstream. But I think, you know, I think the one thing is going to have to happen is safe banking, at least everything else. But I do think more and more of these mainstream partnerships will push pressure on the rest of the industry. Kellen, your thoughts? I'm going to go with the Olympic Committee. Oh, that'd be a big one, yeah. Right? I think that you saw uh, a couple events in the last three years that have really stood in the forefront of media publicly, all having to do with Olympic athletes. So I think that would be huge, especially globally, right? We always talk just domestic US markets, but there's a couple other countries out there in the world. Yeah. Brian, what do you think? The sprinter with the performance enhancing... uh failed drug test is still an incredible one to be performance enhancing. I think the Super Bowl, right? Like at the end of the day, I think the Super Bowl is the massive event with the amount of eyeballs it gets. I think eventually that'll be a, a big unlocking for kind of just public perception and removing the stigmatization. And I also think what your team's doing, Chad, of having these conversations about the importance of cannabis data with the Nestle's, with these other large brands, Ubers, to, to allow them to recognize that there is a ton of value in partnering. And there's, there is no different opportunities where it needs to be separate. It can all be one understanding of principle and data and helping people as a whole move forward with personalization and better better recommendations. I also think we set the tone. We got Forrester to do the first uh, study with us about the study of CMOs and brands. And that was like, it's like, it's like you said, it's like, it's, fu- it's fucked up that the world we live in is like everyone, you have to find something that people will follow on to or lean credibility. But yeah, that's, uh, I agree with you on the Super Bowl thing though. If you can get a Super Bowl ad in there, it's boom. It's, it's a yeah. big... But I will say the big thing for us was with Tyson, Jimmy Kimmel actually talked about the Holy Ears and showed the packaging on live TV, which is the first time that's ever been done. Yeah, I mean, I can't imagine what that earned media eyeballs must have gotten you from an impression Thoughts. standpoint. Yeah. Did he try the products? Did you send him some after? I, I can't speak on behalf. We sent him a lot. We sent a lot of them pro- a lot of different people products. You know, I believe it. So, Chad, for our listeners, they want to get in touch. They want to learn more about Philo and Tyson 2.0. Where can they find you? Find us online on our websites on LinkedIn. I mean, we're pretty active, both companies on social, so we're pretty easy to find. We'll link those up in the show notes. Thanks for taking the time. Thank you, guys. It's fun, guys. If you've enjoyed this podcast over the last few years, can you please take three minutes or less and leave us a quick review on Apple or Spotify? All reviews make a massive difference for us and help other people like you find this podcast. From the bottom of our hearts, thank you.
Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hi, my name's Kate, and I'm your host of the Pop Moms Podcast. I started the Pop Moms Podcast, well, because I wanted to end the stigma against using cannabis, specifically with moms, but also anyone who chooses to consume. I strive for a balance of humor and education, along with some pretty rad guests, to help combat social biases that come with consuming cannabis. Kids are hard. Join me for regular podcast episodes packed with parenting hacks, real-life stories, and of course, my favorite cannabis products. The days are long, but the years are short. So roll another J and take a deep breath. Keep blazing and stay amazing.